I was listening to Dr. Hayes. This verse was coming to my mind. Romans chapter 1, verse 20, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. If that's true, before there was a microscope and a telescope, how much more true is it today? Understood by the things that are made. Even His eternal power and Godhead. And the verse ends by saying, so that they are without excuse. Tonight I want you to know before we start into the subject for this evening that the amazing explosion of scientific knowledge as we press down into the layers of multiple complexities in science are to show us that nothing that God created, especially you, was an accident. The more we know, the more unbelievable the plan of salvation is. Not that it's not true. Just how could it be that one who is so great and so awesome could humble himself to come live amongst men and bear that dark stain to the grave? Indeed, friends, we serve an awesome God. And we are called to moments like this to stop from the press of the world, stop from the allure of this age, and think about it. What a poor life we would have. What an impoverished experience we would share if we did not have the Sabbath to stop and think about the fact that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. So tonight, I want you to know that this world was formed on purpose by the voice of God. He spoke and it stood fast. The Bible is not metaphor, it is history and science. And His awesomeness is such that He can speak and the elements move at His command. God speaks and it exists. That's why when he says to you, be clean, you ought to take good hope. You can't make yourself clean, but God can. And what he starts, he finishes. And tonight I want to talk with you about the fact that while he never intended separation from his children, he came down to dwell amongst them. This was his plan in the Old Testament, in the sanctuary. In the New Testament, in person. But he left. He lived. He died. He rose up from the grave and he went home. But before he left, he said, like MacArthur coming off the beaches in the Philippines, I will come again. There was confusion about his first coming. They wanted to skip the suffering servant. They wanted to skip the blighted, sin-stained sacrifice. There was confusion. They wanted to skip over this. Ignore that there's a sin problem. By the way, this is what the world is doing right now. Ignore that we are tainted and touched with evil. And every step we take forward seems to be taking us two steps backward. Every new license and new liberty needs to, leads to new dysfunction. But Jesus has not been caught off guard. And He told us there would be signs in the heavens, unerring omens. And He told us He would reveal things in the creation. These things reveal Him. And tonight we've gathered to make sure we don't treat eternal destinies, eternal realities, and the birth pangs of our deliverance as trivial things. We've stopped, and you're here, and I'm glad. And I hope that when you leave here tonight, you have great hope, and I hope you have great truth. But I want you to know something. 
The meeting's not an accident. You're not an accident. And Christ's deliverance won't be an accident. It's all been planned. And don't be afraid. Let's pray. Lord, we're here tonight. We want to honor You. We want to know You so that we could worship You. We want, Lord, to be lives transformed by Your indwelling presence under the control and the beauty of the Holy Spirit. So bless us now, Lord, as we make a journey. Bless us as we anticipate Your return. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Tonight, friends, I want to talk with you about the end of secrets. There was a Bible that was printed in the early 1900s. It was the first Bible that had or at least the first popularized Bible that had commentary in it. That commentary brought into the prophetic understanding of the world something we call futurism. Now I want to tell you from the days of Martin Luther and beyond, when people read the prophecies and they could see that God anchored the understanding in history... That allowed you to project forward and understand the future. When Nebuchadnezzar had his dream, and Daniel said after he revealed the dream and the interpretation, you're the head of gold, it's your kingdom. It wasn't hard to understand that the kingdoms that would follow would fit in the progression that Daniel identified. And we haven't done it yet, but if you go farther into the book of Daniel, Daniel actually names some of those kingdoms. Some people don't believe the Bible, mainly because they don't want to believe, but some will say it's too accurate to have been written ahead of time. So it had to be written after the fact. as a little Jewish pick-me-up, rah-rah-rah kind of thing. I'm here to tell you, that you will either have to come face to face with the fact that Jesus Christ is a reality and that this book is history, hope in the present, and confidence for the future. You're going to have to come to grips with whether or not there is a God. And since there is no other religion like Christianity, you remember that story on night number one. The imam, a Muslim cleric, a Muslim spiritual leader, the rabbi, a Jewish spiritual leader, and a Christian pastor, Timothy Keller. And he said to that group gathered at that school for social studies in New York City, Christianity is either a superior religion or an inferior religion because it makes a claim that the only way to God the Father is through God the Son. It makes huge statements. And either Jesus is a liar and a fake, or he is what he says he is, but he can't be anything in between. So Christianity is either a superior religion where God comes in search of you. He's not just another teacher telling you how to be better and maybe pull it off with a higher estate in a future existence. He's either the author of creation and redemption and future restoration, or he is the worst fake and phony that's ever existed. But we ought to take time and discover personally through an experiential encounter with this living God and His Word. Conviction ought to be allowed to grow and God ought to be able to show Himself and either peace is the result and hope in the moment and hope for the future or it's not. But the Bible is so accurate that some have said it was all written after the fact. It predicted nothing. And some people are so afraid of the focus of the prophecies that they say you can't understand any of it in the now. It all points to the future. And of course it does point to the future. But if you have no reference in the now, if you can't anchor down the start of a prophecy, how can you know what its end is? And so from Martin Luther's day onward, As people studied the Bible and let it define its own terms, it was easy enough to see what things were pointed towards. But along comes a man by the name of Schofield, and he prints a Bible in which he puts all his commentary, and he takes 
statements of prophecy and he no longer anchors them by letting the Bible define the starting point and the Bible define the terms. He chooses his own terms. And pretty soon we have a new doctrine that appears on the scene of the earth. Never before believed before the early 1900s. The the term secret rapture I don't believe even existed before Cyrus Schofield printed his Bible. But I want to tell you, it was popularized by Hal Lindsey. Some of you are old enough to remember the story of the late great planet Earth. I want to tell you, one of my professors, the parents of some of the members that attend this church, took Hal Lindsey's predictions apart. It's so deflating. It's so, if I was a theologian, if I was Hal Lindsey and I was still alive, I'd be so embarrassed I'd want to crawl under a rock because you can take all of the predictions out of that book and you can show that not one of them came true. But they were all based on Schofield's Bible. They were all based on the idea of futurism. The idea that somehow people would just be whisked away. What's the point of whisking them away? Well, you need to know the point. In their mind, the point was that when people got whisked away, everybody else who didn't care would say, oh, we ought to change or else we're not going to heaven. Well, now, mind you, going to heaven is good and waking people up matters, but that's the role of a prophet. That's the role of people who are living different lives and proclaiming the glory of our God. You see, the the reality is you can't fall in love with someone else. I'm not sure I even like the analogy I'm about to use. You can't be married. Christ reveals himself. The church is his bride. You can't be married to someone and keep giving your heart away to someone else and say, well, when it's time for me to wake up, I'll go back and be with this person. Have any of you tried to switch your emotions like that? Is that how it works? You can deepen your love. You can fall more in love, in this case with the world, in an illicit affair. And all of a sudden you can just say, oh, I don't want the world anymore. Boot that one and run back over here and say, oh, Jesus, I want to be with you. Unfortunately, in my line of work, I have to deal with people who blur the lines of the sacred circle of marriage. And I want to tell you something. Getting somebody who's giving their heart away to somebody else to stop and turn around and go back to the original is almost impossible. As a matter of fact, when someone has an alien bond, that's what we call it. The right bond is with the spouse. The wrong bond is with the wrong person who didn't make you promises, didn't stand at this altar, didn't have witnesses to watch you say I do, and didn't say before God, I'll keep my word. The wrong person, once you've given your heart away to them, the wrong person robs you of being able to give your heart back to the right person. Satan knows this. And so Satan understands the power of basically saying, world, don't worry. You just go on with the party. You just go on loving the things you love. But when the airplanes don't have pilots and the trucks don't have drivers, and when the garbage man disappears and the truck is sitting there idling in front of you, it's because somebody got raptured away. And when that happens, you ought to wake up. As if that's what would make you love God. So much of this is tied to a focus on the legal purging of a record. As long as you get your record cleared, everything's good. Go to heaven. The problem is, if you love the world, being in heaven with Jesus is going to be torture to you. And He knows it. You see, the the center and the joy of heaven is Jesus Himself. It's being together with Him forever. The secret rapture is an exceptionally dangerous teaching because it suggests to the world you don't have to worry about the work of sanctification and the transformation of your life, the readiness to live as a citizen of heaven. You don't have to think about how each day is your day of probation. You just go through life doing what you want to do, and when you hear the bell ring, when the people are whisked away, then you get serious. Like the main thing you got to avoid is the get out of hell free card. The main thing you got to get. There is no such thing as a secret about the return of Jesus. Nothing. 
He appeared in obscurity and poverty as the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. But when he comes again, all of those things that the Jews were hoping for in the first coming are going to be in the second coming. But look at how slick the devil is. He wants, he wanted the people back then to expect a great king. But now, and so when he, when Jesus didn't come with fanfare and the angels, well, he can't be king. But now when Jesus is coming back as a king and the game is over and it's not a game, the war is over. When he comes back as a king and he's sitting on a throne and he has his 10,000 angels with him, the devil wants you to think, don't worry, don't pay attention, don't get ready, just wait for the secret rapture and then it'll be time to get serious about all this. It was something that the wise men knew was coming because they were studying the Bible when Jesus was born the first time. And the prophet Simeon and the prophetess Anna, they were sensitive to the Spirit. And when they brought Jesus into the temple, they sensed God's moving and they proclaimed that this was the long-awaited Messiah. You just get people looking for the wrong thing. And you just get people loving the wrong thing and they won't want the right thing. You will never find... Well, I shouldn't say that. You will find only one thing in Scripture about the second coming that's a secret, and I'm going to show it to you tonight. But everything else about Jesus' second coming is not a secret. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, writing through the prophet Malachi, that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, He'd send you Elijah the prophet. You ask yourself, friends, how many people in Israel in the days of Elijah didn't know that Elijah had proclaimed that there was a problem. Elijah had said for three and a half years, it's not going to rain until this nation turns back to God. Everybody knew who Elijah was. Most of them hated him. If they could have found him, they would have turned him over to Ahab and Elijah would have been executed on the spot. The coming of the spirit of Elijah, the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy, is going to get the world's attention for anyone that wants to know. So how will Jesus come back? And how can I know that I'll be ready when he comes? Friends, you can be ready. Live today ready. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Don't go out after them or follow them. If they say to you, Matthew says it as well, not just Luke. Look, he's in the desert. Don't go. Now, I brought this up several times and I'm bringing it up again. The message is don't look. Don't check it out. Don't investigate it to see if it's right or wrong. And before this evening's done, you'll know why. Because the manifestation of spiritual power that's going to be at the end of time is going to overwhelm the senses of men. I don't know if you've followed this climate change thing very much, but one of the things they're saying is, just listen to the scientists. Just listen to the scientists. Listen. Science is good. And I think we should listen to the scientists. But when science is no longer the main game, it's no longer the talk of the town, when the spiritual manifestations are abounding and there's demons working miracles, what they're going to say is, just listen to the experts. Just listen to the theologians. Listen, friends, you need to be your own theologian and read the Bible and know what Jesus says. Could you say amen? amen. That's why you're here. You're not going to have someone drop into your house and say, well, just a second, I've got a hundred slides on that topic. Let me go through them with you. No, you need to say, I know what the Bible says. And even if you only had 12 color-coded, marked Bible verses, put the first verse to start your Bible study in the cover, in the flyleaf. And then just use the color. And when you get to the first verse, you write it down on the flyleaf of your Bible. When you get to the first verse... Write in the margins the second verse. And that'll take you to the next one. And you can give a Bible study. You don't have to have it all tucked away in your brain, although it's good to do that. Don't go. Don't get on your phone. Don't get on that web page. It's just an invitation to be deceived. Christ is coming from above. He's not showing up on the earth where you got to go seek Him out. The Bible's very clear about how it's going to work. It will be a literal event. And not hard for you to recognize. Jesus was standing with His disciples and they, He was taken up out of their midst. The Bible says when the angels showed up, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing here into heaven? This same Jesus whom you've seen taken up will so come in like manner. It's the same way it happened in reverse. So as he was taken up into heaven, so he's going to come back. 
But when he comes back, we're meeting him up in the air. Did you ever notice that? The Bible says we're meeting him in the clouds. We're not meeting him on the earth. So don't tune in to ABC, CBS, NBC, or Fox News. Because they don't have the story. They've got the fake. They've got the delusion. And Satan is paying keen attention and he's going to mimic Christ in the end. And I'm going to tell you, he's going to work miracles and people who don't know their Bible are going to think that's the proof. But that's actually the deception. Listen to me. Working a miracle proves nothing except that you have access to supernatural power. It might be evil power. Satan stood in the place of Gabriel before he was exiled from heaven. Gabriel took his place. He stood in the very presence of God. These are angels. These are fallen angels. We call them demons working miracles. And you bet they're going to work miracles. And it's going to deceive He'll come in the like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. A real Christ descended, a real Christ will descend. But he's not coming down to this earth. We're meeting him up there. This is not going to be our home. He's going to have to cleanse it and make it better. A very visible event. Behold, he's coming with clouds and a few people are going to see him on their iPhones. That isn't quite what it says. Every eye will see him. It's our job to make sure they know who He is before He comes. So they could say, I want to be with Him. Instead, people have painted Him in the worst hues, as we talked about this morning. Christ's coming is going to be an audible event. The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. You know, last night we were preaching and that thunder rattled through here. kind of got our attention. I was laying in bed in El Salvador, taking a trip to build some buildings down in El Salvador. I was down there on a site visit, and I want to tell you, I was laying there, the rain rolled in, and there was a bolt of lightning that struck close, and I have never heard, or at least not in a long time, a peal of thunder that loud. I mean, I sat up in bed, and it was hard to go back to sleep. Listen, when Jesus shouts, the dead are going to hear it. The reverberations, the sound waves are going to shake this old earth and the graves are going to pop open and the archangel, who is Jesus, he's the leader of the angels, going to blow on that gospel trumpet and all throughout the universe, everybody's going to know the celebration is on, the night of woe is over, Christ is getting his people. Let's go see what's happening. The dead in Christ will rise first. It will be literal. It will be visible. It will be audible. There will be no secrets. Jesus is coming and He's starting the celebration and we are the focus. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Now listen to me. Nowhere in the Bible do you find that one group gets to enjoy the joys of heaven ahead of someone else with the exception of a very few individuals. Elijah was taken to heaven alive without dying. He represents those who will be translated at the end of the age without dying. Enoch walked with God, Genesis says, and he was not, for God took him. He represents a similar group of people whose lives have been washed in the blood of Christ and the transformation of Christ's presence within them has prepared them to live in heaven. And then Moses died on Mount Pisgah. The scripture is clear. He died. But the book of Jude tells us that Jesus fought with the devil over the body of Moses. And he said, the Lord rebuke you. And he resurrected Moses. And there in the books of the gospel story, Elijah and Moses meet with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Beyond that, friends, only the first fruits, the people that were resurrected when Jesus died, that's a very small group of people, but they fit the symbolism of one of the Hebrew festivals where they were to bring their first fruits and offer them to God. Well, Jesus did the same thing when he was resurrected. Those, when he died, those that died and were resurrected when Jesus went to heaven, He took them back with them, and they were the first fruits that represented eventually your story and my story. Redeemed, renewed, restored, and in the presence of God. The Scriptures are very clear. The redeemed of the earth, the masses, without the exception of those who represent special statements about the plan of salvation, so like Elijah translated and Moses resurrected, the billions of people, those Millions that will be ready are all going at the same time. Nobody gets a seven-year head start. 
on anybody else. Christ's coming will be a glorious event. Now I'm going to have a little fun here. It says, For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven and shines to the other part under heaven, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. All right, let's do this. What are we looking at? Can anybody tell? You're looking at the village church last night at quarter to nine. Most all of you were gone. But someone wasn't. Joe Weber, who does the video reproduction, was walking out to his truck and he took a picture. That's the pergola entrance. That's where most of you come in. Now, pay attention. Let's see if it works. Now, that was last night. But, of course, that happened kind of quick. So let's look at it. It's not slow motion. It's still frames. Are you ready? That's last night at 845. And that's last night at 845. Let's look at it one more time. That's last night at 845. And that's last night at 845. The difference is the lightning. Jesus said, your eyes could be closed, but it'll be an unavoidable event. You could be laying in bed with these thin pieces of skin covering up the irises and the lenses, but when the lightning flashes outside, you still know. The real Christ is coming in the sky, and it won't be a secret. He's coming to resurrect the dead, and nothing will be a secret. When He comes, I believe, based on the writing of the prophets and the typology of the journey out of Egypt into the promised land, that we're going to make a journey to heaven with Him, and He will be the ultimate. Moses was a type of Christ. Jesus is the true shepherd of His people, and He's going to take us on a journey to heaven, going through the vast cosmos. The Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. This will be a sad thing. It's not Jesus whisks some people away and all the tribes of the earth say, oh, we better get serious about this. No, Jesus has a people at the end that are proclaiming that He's coming. It was in subtlety, almost you could say in secret the first time. He showed up without pomp and circumstance. But the second time will be completely different. He's coming to claim His own. He's coming to declare victory and nothing will be secret or private about it. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That is not a secret. Every eye will see Him. Unfortunately for some, it will not be good news. But this is where the church has a mandate. Listen, friends. Don't waste your time with things that don't help other people know and get the privilege of being ready. There are millions, yea, billions on the face of the earth that don't understand the plan of salvation. They don't know there's a God you could love. They think it's either get right or get fried. And they're not that interested, to be frank. The truth of the matter is, they've bought into the lie. They've been told a falsehood. Christ's coming is going to be a climactic event. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. This is another place in Scripture where it's very clear it's going to be a wake-up moment. Unfortunately for some, it will be waking up to despair. The trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. That's when I take on my incorruption and my mortality is traded in for immortality. Jesus will be here to change everything and it will include my very nature, my very body, my very being. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. I don't think we can hardly imagine how wonderful it's going to be to receive our parents back, to receive our children back, to meet generations that preceded us, especially when they've been ripped out of our hands by accident or disease. I don't think we can begin to imagine how anxious the angels are to get the celebration going, but their interest is small compared to the interest of God. And yet God is waiting for someone, a prophetic voice, to announce to the world that there will be an end, and yet there is hope. 
Behold, this is our God. We've waited for Him. He will save us. This is the Lord. We've waited for Him, and we will be glad and rejoice in His salvation. These are the words that will be on the hearts, the minds, the lips, and the tongues of those who are saved. And now is the time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So how do you get ready for Jesus? Every day. How do we prepare for the second coming? By making the choice to let Jesus live in our heart and give our lives as a living sacrifice every day. It's like the story I told this morning of, the, of Nan Wood who was in France several, many years ago and she helped this little old poor lady. It turned out that as a visiting student scientist, her kindness led her to have the privilege of meeting none other than Marie Curie, the first woman to win a Nobel Prize the first woman to win two Nobel Prizes and the only person ever to win two Nobel Prizes in two different scientific categories. But what happens when Jesus comes? There's seismic upheavals. This earth is going to give up its dead. The righteous dead come back to life. The righteous living are changed. Immortality is bestowed and the wicked living are destroyed. They don't want to see Jesus. The light is too much for them. The righteousness, the righteous welcome Christ. And the righteous go to heaven. So what about that secret rapture? Now I'm going to tell you the only thing that's secret about the secret rapture right here. But of that day and of that hour knows no one, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Are you getting an idea of what's secret? It's the time, not the manner. It's the what? It's the time. There's only one thing that's secret in the Bible about Jesus coming back. It's when. It's not whether it's visible or not. It's not whether it's audible or not. It's not whether it's literal or not. It's not about people disappearing. It's about Christ appearing. And when Christ appears, our hope is not only established in a new reality it is the glorious and grand celebration of the church on earth and the church in heaven being united there is nothing secret about the returning of christ except the actual moment and that's important to remember when jesus comes as a thief the world will not expect it and there will be some unfortunately in the church who do not expect it but i love this verse friends Therefore, you also what? Right here. Be ready. Be ready. You think you're going to live three score and seven? You might. And you might be in a car crash. Or you might be at the doctor and your world might crash. The beautiful thing about being ready is that you have heaven on earth when you're ready. It's in your heart. The good news is you have the peace of God no matter what comes your way when you live ready because Jesus has set up His throne in your mind. Your body, Paul says, is the temple of the living God. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, glorify God. Be ready. You can't make yourself ready, but you can choose to let Jesus live in you and He will continue the work and you can live in the peace and be ready. Concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you now. Why are these verses about to come up? Because while we cannot know the day or the hour, Jesus didn't tell us in the latter chapters of Luke and in Matthew, Luke 21 and Matthew 24, Jesus didn't go over all these signs so that we could just sit around saying, well, I wonder when Jesus is coming. <laughs> no, I don't know the day or the hour. But I told you the other night that Jesus says when He goes through these signs, these are just the beginning of birth pangs. I went over the fact that these things will intensify. And there's nobody that's looking for Jesus who needs to be surprised when He appears. This is what Paul says. Concerning the times and the seasons, you have no need that I should write to you. Times and seasons. For you know yourself perfectly that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Again, it's just the time. It's nothing else. For when they say peace and safety, because we're going to go through some trauma, 
And a new world order is going to be established and the word on the street is going to be, it's A-OK, you just do what we say, peace and safety. But it's not. Then sudden destruction comes upon them. Isn't it interesting that Paul would be echoing Paul's metaphor as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. But we're not done. Let's go a little farther. But you, brethren, he doesn't say you customers. He doesn't say you patrons. He says you brethren, you sisters. You're not in darkness that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are sons and daughters of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not what? Sleep. As others do, but let us watch and be sober. Have any of you ever been around a drunk man? They might be funny and they might be mean, but it's an awful lot better when they're sober. You know what? We're not to be imbibing in every opportunity that comes our way. We're not to take up every job and promotion. Some of them are in direct contradiction with our role of raising our kids. Some of them are in direct competition with our role of partnering with our church family to proclaim the good news of Christ's coming and put on seminars like this. We're not to be asleep because we've been lulled into this fatal distraction that comes with all the opportunity that's in this this world, in this country. We're not to simply pursue our ease and pleasure. God actually tells us, pay attention. He says, don't be afraid. Go do what I said to do. You know what's wrong with many in the church today? Is that the temptation is to hunker down and save up a lot of money and maybe store up a lot of food and get off the grid and all these things so that you've got yourself a little buffer when the trouble comes. Jesus says, that isn't what you're supposed to be doing. Now, there's nothing wrong if you want to set a little extra food aside, but I need to tell you something, friends. Nobody's saving themselves in the last days. Trouble's going to be too great and too intense. You're going to need a living Savior who shows up with living solutions and provides you a living hope. So don't, get, go, don't go dig a bunker. But live sober. So what's wrong with lots of Christians? They're so worried about themselves that the only thing they can do is be afraid. You want to lose your fear? Then do the two things Jesus said to do. Before He left, after 40 days of being on the earth, He told His disciples to do two things. Just two. He told them, you wait in Jerusalem. Until the gift I want to give you comes to you. That was the Holy Spirit. We can be seeking it. And then the other thing he said is, go. So when you go to work, friends, you're going into the nine to five missionary zone. But you go after having waited on the Lord in the morning. And I want to tell you something. You're going to watch God work. And your fear is going to go away because your interest is going to be focused on reaching people for God. He's going to be by your side and in you. And the faith chapters are going to grow. And your confidence is going to get stronger. And you know what? You're not going to be afraid anymore. The fact that you prioritize coming out to this meeting, it's a good thing. The prophetic voice of Jesus is resonating through these scriptures. The call to confidence is there in the words of our professors who have been showing us that the Bible is true and science proclaims a creator. And the words of hope and joy are in the songs that we've heard sung. But too many people are afraid because all they're doing is wanting to shield themselves so they can have a continuing good life and everybody else can go to hell almost quite literally. Our institutions, our churches, our schools, and our homes are to be preparing our own selves and our children for the highest and noblest calling that has ever come to a living being in this cosmos 
And that is be an ambassador for Christ wherever you go. And by the way, friends, you come to this church every Sabbath as an ambassador for Jesus. Only come here as a missionary. And by the blessings you receive, rejoice, but make sure you left some blessings behind when you go. Nobody anticipating the return of Christ need to be afraid if they let the love of God fill them and they just turn every day over to Him. He'll do with it what He wants. Many of them will look very ordinary. Faithful mothers, faithful fathers, faithful teachers, faithful preachers, faithful engineers, faithful doctors, faithful lawyers, faithful builders, But nobody needs to be afraid unless their focus is only on themselves. I'm afraid that too many in my church, one of the best educated religious groups in the world, have scraped and pulled and drawn all the benefits of their education and their culture and their networking way too much only to themselves and the world is languishing for hope. It's not just the Pope who's talking about the fact that the rich nations should be thinking about doing a little bit others. I'm not talking to the nations. I'm talking to the people of God tonight. And I'm calling you all to realize that as we watch the birth pangs intensify, remember a couple of things. Number one, deliverance is on the way. That's what happens when a mama's big with a baby. There comes a point she wants it out. Are there any mamas in the room? And it's a little bit troublesome on the way out. But it's all forgotten when she holds that baby in her arms. I'm thankful to my mom. Listen, friends. For too long, the preachers in the pulpits of America have been content to let you have what you want. Walk casually through life enjoying the blessings. But the prophetic voice of the Scriptures, and for those that are of my faith, the spirit of prophecy, those voices are calling us to the highest order of joy. I want to tell you today, in this auditorium, I'm looking around for the people right now. This morning in this auditorium, I met a doctor. Met him in the hallway. He was won to Christ by one of our older members who was a missionary a long ways away from here. When he was a little boy, she just kept reaching out to him, bringing him to the Sabbath school. And today, he's a Seventh-day Adventist doctor with a missionary spirit, and he's advancing the cause of Christ. Don't be afraid. Jesus said the gates of hell can't stand up to you. So you feel like David? And the world looks like Goliath. Have you ever read the story? Do you know how it turned out? Oh, yeah. He was commissioned, which meant when the stone came out of the sling, the angelic guidance system directed it right where it needed to go. And a few moments later, he was standing over the prostate form of a big bully. But everybody else that watched all of a sudden had new courage, friends. Have you ever read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were dealing with another big bully who knew better because he had already had Daniel proclaim it'd be Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And he had set up that big statue of gold. He knew better. Why did he put three of his most faithful advisors between a rock and a hard spot? But I want to tell you what, if they had to choose between the rock and the hard spot, they were going to choose the rock that's higher than them. And he was an impregnable rock. And when they threw them in the furnace, the ones who threw them in fell down dead. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, after they fell on the coals, got up and dusted those ashes of those ropes off. And there was Jesus saying, nice to meet you guys. And Nebuchadnezzar is up out of his chair, walking in disbelief to the furnace. He can only get so close. But he knows. Daniel's witness was not without merit. The merit, the witness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was not without effect. Even though he had distanced himself and disagreed with his previous assessment that there's no other God like the God of Daniel, he was back there again and maybe even on his knees and pleading to them to come out. And he wanted to hear all about it. 
He had one more round of pride before he was humbled. But the last story of Nebuchadnezzar has him testifying that the Lord is God. Why? Because four Hebrew boys decided God was real and they would live for God in a foreign land, feeling somewhat powerless except for the fact that they knew their God could save them when they went through the water and went through the fire. Yes, friends, don't be afraid. Let Jesus use your life in the ordinary places. And yes, you will suffer some. The second coming is a prize only to those who are not walking with God and not studying their Bible. Take heed unto yourselves, however, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing. It's almost like Jesus knew what the 21st century would look like. Watch video on demand. Play video games with a thousand other people on the face of the planet. Friends, it's time to abandon those things and say, God, I don't have enough life. I don't have a life long enough to waste time doing that. And I don't have a brain strong enough to resist the reshaping that the devil wants to put on it as I engage the world. And it seduces me. Drunkenness. It's as if the age of addiction and dysfunction was on Jesus' mind and the cares of this life. Jesus said, I don't want that day to come on you unexpectedly. So what about one taken and the other left? Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. And they say, there it is, the secret rapture. And I say, no, it's not. As it was in the days of Noah, Jesus said, so shall it be. As it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, so shall it be. And all it's saying is what Jesus said all along. There'll be sheep and goats. There'll be wheat and tares. One class will be saved. One will be lost. Unfortunately, too many will have learned and listened too late. The kings of the earth and the great men, the rich men, the commanders and the mighty men, every slave and every free man who has not received Jesus will have no other desire than to hide because they have now the fear that cannot be relieved. And they will say to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Let me ask you, friends, how would it make you feel if you came home tonight and your dog saw you and stuck its tail between its legs and ran away whimpering? How would it feel if after a business trip you came home and your kids saw you, Pastor Joe tells how his little boy, too little to understand what a long trip away means, after he's gone for three and a half weeks on extreme Bible workout, his boy looks at him, less than two years old, not sure what to make of the fact he disappeared out of his life one day, and then he looks away. He's not ready to be in his daddy's arms. Imagine how that made him feel. Jesus doesn't want anybody to feel this way. But there will come an end. There's no second opportunity. That's why there is an Elijah message. That's why there is a great and loud call as the book of Revelation describes it. That's why there's three angels in chapter 14 and another angel in chapter 18. And they have a megaphone. They cry with a loud voice. Come out of Babylon. Come out of the confusion. Come to God. Find a rock that's higher than yourself. Now is that time. Christ's coming is going to be literal, visible, audible, glorious, climactic, and joyous for most, but not all. But friends, we ought to give everybody a chance to see Jesus in our lives and see the beauty of holiness before we tell them the message that's in the Bible. You're the Bible they're reading. Are they finding a beautiful statement of Christ's love and faithfulness and fidelity? Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go... I will come again. This is the message. It's supposed to be the best news you've ever heard. May it not be that we have to find all of these ropes, all of these sandcastles that our lives are full of, washed away by tragedy and destruction. May it not be that we have loved this world so much that the idea of Jesus coming really isn't such a good life. I've been thinking about it lately. America's been pretty good to most of us Christians. No lion's dens. No fiery furnaces. No jail cells. Although I will tell you, in the 1800s, there were Seventh-day Adventists who went to jail for keeping the Sabbath. There are some not-so-good chapters out there. But America's been good, pretty good to us for the last 100 years. I just wonder if maybe it's been a little bit too good. 
But tonight I'm appealing to you. Jesus is calling. As the light shines from the east unto the west, so he wants his message to be heralded around the world. He's saying today, is there anything that would keep you from being ready from the coming for the coming of Christ? He's asking us to consider what trifling thing of this age actually stands in the way. Tonight, I want you to think about it. We're here at the end of a Sabbath. We're here slightly more now than we're right at the halfway mark of our series. I want you to say to Jesus, if you desire to say it, Lord, I want nothing to stand between me and the eternal inheritance you've already paid for. God is here tonight. He's speaking to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. The prophecy, the gift of prophecy, the revealing of the secrets of the heart. Like those two men on the road to Emmaus, God speaking to us and our hearts echoing with the call of the Spirit. Friends, tonight I'm asking you to make new decisions. To say to yourself, I will refocus my life around the great mission and the great movement of this end time message so that others could know Jesus will come soon and they don't need to be afraid. They can be waiting and watching, trusting in the gift of salvation He's provided and longing and looking for the coming of our Lord and Savior. Listen and meditate as Matt and Josie minister to us. There's not a care in the world The sun's streaming in The birds are singing All's well in the world And no, you're not dreaming You step outside into radiant light Into beautiful colors that shimmer with life You belong Love has drawn you here shiver of life up through you you're glad you're alive the fruit in your hand is fragrant and lovely air in your lungs sweet as honey the light at your side is gentle and friendly you lean on his neck so happy you're giddy you belong love has drawn you As he calls your name You bound through the flowers Look up in his eyes There's no sense of shame Cause there's nothing to hide You can't help laughing And neither can he It rolls out of his chest Like an anthem of peace You belong Love has drawn you So 
like to go it's better than what we have here you don't have to get old you don't have to get sick you don't have to watch your fortune your fortune washed away or your children wander from your hopes and ambitions listen friends nobody's going to heaven by themselves you got to take somebody else with you we got to press together and pray together. we got to wait, and we got to go. Jesus is waiting to come. He doesn't want anybody left behind. He didn't suffer in Gethsemane, only to leave people behind. He didn't hang on a cross naked and ashamed, struggling to breathe. He didn't watch the darkness surround him and cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Only to leave somebody behind. Your kindness on the job site. Your respect to your boss. Your faithfulness to your child, even when they don't like it. Your steadiness as a Christian. The presence of the Holy Spirit in your life will give your words credibility. Tonight, I just want to tell you, there are a lot more people in this world who realize it's not going to last. But they need a beautiful invitation to a beautiful something better. If tonight, you'd like to rededicate your life to giving that call and having that freedom that absence of shame that holy laughter rolling out of your heart and anticipating a stroll with Jesus if you'd like to say Jesus I'm sorry when I've let my heart become too attached to what's here but I want to go home and I want to bring as many people with me as I can if you'd like to do that tonight would you just stand with me Lord we all only get one lifetime so as long as it's taken (laughs) we just have the one life we have give us back a sense Lord of your assurance give us back Lord not that you took it but help us to get what the locusts have eaten. Give us back, Lord, that sense of focus, that sense of love for people. Thank you for so many beautiful Christians that I get to fellowship with, Lord, and thank you that you're refocusing us. Thank you for these meetings. Thank you for the reminder. This world's not our home, but you're coming back, and you've made a place. The mansions are already there. You're just waiting to fill them. May we go from this place tonight with a decision and a desire to be there is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. God be with you, friends. And may you have a blessed new week and join us tomorrow night when I will talk about prophecy and the last conspiracy. There are refreshments this evening. Feel free to stay and mingle. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you tomorrow evening at 645.